Anyway, good morning. Glad you're here today. Wonderful day today. Hey, Josh. How you doing, man? Good. So uh, this morning, uh, we're getting ready to have a baby dedication in just a few moments, which is always a special event. And uh, yeah. And so, hey, yes. All right, we'll bring you up here. We'll let you speak. Yeah. Uh-huh. So... Just a reminder that uh, the offering plate um, box is back there, and as you exit today, if you like to give, uh, that's the um, place to give. And then also our connection cards. We love to hear what's going on, and prayer requests, praises is a great tool. I appreciate you guys um, sharing what's going on in your life, Um, and that really helps us to know how to pray for you encourage you and, and steps that we can take to help you. And so uh, whatever that may look like, just put it on there, drop it back there in the box or in a plate, and we'll get those uh, to us. So uh, in the end of uh, January, uh, we're going to go into a series, a six-week series with our church. And uh, I have a video that I want to play and, and then I'm going to talk a little bit about what that means, what that might look like to our church. And so, uh, Debbie, would you please play that for us? Hi, I'm Rick Warren, and welcome to The Purpose Driven Life. Purpose Driven Life is more than a book. It is a 40-day journey, a spiritual pathway to help you discover, develop, and fulfill God's purpose for your life. You know, there are three basic questions in life. Why am I here? Does my life matter? And what is my purpose? And we're going to cover all of those in the next 40 days together. Now, I want to suggest that you get a friend or a partner to go through this journey with you. Journey is always a lot more fun when you get a partner. At the end of each of these chapters that you listen to, you're going to have a question to consider, a point to ponder, and a verse to remember. I hope you'll use these things to spark your own creativity and discuss those with a friend or a small group. Now, these three basic questions in life are the questions of existence, and that is, why am I alive? The question of intention, what is my purpose? And the question of significance, does my life matter? All of these questions are answered as we go through the Word of God together, and as I use this book to help you understand what God's purpose for your life is all about. I'm excited you're taking this journey. All right, uh, so... We are going to be uh, doing uh, what am I on what on earth am I here for? Starting in February, we're going to be meeting on Wednesday night for six Wednesday nights, and we're going to go through those six things that are up there on the um, uh, screen. We have a workbook that we'll be going through. We're going to give you a book, and we want you to take this forty-day journey. Now, I know many of you have taken this already, and it'd be good for you to do it again. Uh, and or just come alongside, encourage someone on the journey. And we're going to have a uh, time of worship on those Wednesday nights. Let's start off with worship, and then we're going to 
yeah, you can watch anything you want right now. <laughs> and then, uh, then we're going to uh, watch a, a lesson on a, on a video, and then we're going to have a breakout into some group discussions and have prayer. And so that is uh, our plan. And so I want you to think about that. Some of you may struggle. What is God's plan? What's God's purpose for my life? Have you, ever, have you ever answered that question? Well, this is going to be a great uh, tool for you to, to go through this and discover how God has, uh, wants to use you and also how he's fit uh, you to uh, be equipped to do what God wants you to do. All right, let's stand and let's do some worship. Let's take our focus and put it <clears throat> totally upon God and what he wants to do this morning.
Here's our mantra for the church.
There's only way to do it. Life, problems, is to fix our eyes on God and his word. And sometimes you have to physically make yourself. Uh, the feelings aren't there, but we do it anyway because it's the right thing, the true thing to do. And the way we do that is through Christ's strength. There's no way we have it in us. And when we focus on him, there's this regeneration that comes after that moment. And um, so let's sing, yet not I, but through Christ in me. What gift of grace is Jesus my Redeemer? There is no Yeah. 
Lord, that's our prayer. We long for the day when we see you high and lifted up right before our eyes. When, when every knee and everyone, everyone will bow and see you high and lifted up and holy. Lord, we, uh, we, we look forward to that day. We, we just feel in our hearts it's coming soon. Um, but until that day, Lord, we pray that you will, your Holy Spirit will impact our lives through your word and through the fellowship of brothers and sisters and family members, that we will live lives that will glorify you and serve you, that we will live a purpose-driven life, that we will be identified, that not only do we do it privately and personally, but we would be a, like a light on a hill. People would see you in us, Lord. Um, we just pray that you would make that happen. Now we pray, Father, for our pastor as he's going to speak and teach us from the word your word and we pray that you would bring to his memory all the things that he's prepared for us specifically for this church and we pray that we will learn from it we will benefit we'll grow and we become more like you in christ's name we pray amen you can be seated so i wanted to say uh also uh, aaron's friends joe and judy Jody, is that Jody? Judy. Okay. Which one's the judge? <laughs> uh, they, Joe and his wife are involved in the uh, human traffic uh, ministry, reaching out to those that are caught up in that. And uh, we've shared some things about that. We'd like to be more involved in supporting that. And uh, if you have any questions, they'd be a great uh, people to talk about that. Uh, and also, uh, I just want to praise God for the, uh, the, the new moms and the families, young families that we have with us. It is such a joy to uh, see this inflow of uh, young families. And uh, we have a desire to continue to bless the young families in our community. And one of the major tools for that is our children's ministry. I don't know what God has for you and your purpose, what he wants for you, but we have a great need for teachers and helpers in our children's ministry. Bless their heart. Um, Ruth and Harry, who are 80-something, and uh, they're over there wanting to help out because of the need. And, you know, not everybody's cut out to work with two-year-olds. I understand that. We don't want you in there if you, if you can't work with two years old and, well, four-year-old. Kids are nice things. That's okay. But for those, would you consider uh, helping out with the children's ministry? Write that on a connection card. Come up and see us. And, um, of course, there's a qualification process through this and um, a screen, background screen and all that. But uh, I just want to present that need, and I want to just say a prayer about that, okay? Father, we come before you today, and you said that we're to look on to the fields that are white unto harvest. There is, a, there is a great crop of souls and little souls, little people that need to hear about Jesus Christ. And Father, 
we are asking that, as you said, to pray for the laborers, pray for those that would step up and, and roll up their sleeve and do what they can to reach these uh, little ones for Jesus Christ. So, Father, we are dedicating ourselves as a church in this community to reach children. Use us, God. Stir us. Give us a passion for reaching all ages for Jesus Christ. And we ask this for your honor and for your glory and for the sake of souls in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to your Bibles uh, with me. And if you have your notes, you like to take notes, uh, get those out. And let's go to 1 Peter chapter 3. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 3. We started this message last week. This is the second half. Uh, and so we're talking about marriage roles. The theme of 1 Peter is that there's always hope in the suffering of a believer. There's always hope. And that is a wonderful truth to know in our life as we go through these times. And with this... Uh, he also shows us in first, we go through first Peter up how to how to uh, grow, how to mature in the faith. And so uh, this is the theme of Peter. And, and Peter is, is uh, actually helping Christians who are in the midst of some very difficult times. And he comes alongside them with these words. And these words not only have been a help to them, but have been a help down to the generation and still today for us as well. In this passage, as he's talking about suffering, he deals with some relationships. You know, whenever you're going through difficult times, your relations are stressed, aren't they? When you, when you uh, husbands and wives, when you go through a, a remodel, you know, my wife and I have been through, I think, four major remodels, you know, in our house. And, and there's always that uh, squeeze of trying to go through that. And um, so there's always some difficult times, and in relationships are, are pressed. And so Peter writes some things here. Now, in this text here, as we looked at 1 Peter chapter 3, and we're going to read that there were some, there were some ladies who became Christians, and uh, they were married to men who were not followers of God in the Bible. And they, the men had continued to worship their false gods. And Jesus Christ had came in to these ladies, to the wives, and had given them liberty to uh, you know, worship the Lord. And they, and they found that Jesus was the truth, and he is the way, and he is the life. And so they uh, worship uh, Jesus Christ. They put away those idols. They put away those things, and they considered them false. Well, that evidently uh, produced some tense um, conversations in the marriages as, as one became a believer and one was not a believer. And then there was some who thought, well, because of that, we have liberty to leave our husband because they're not believers. And Peter is putting on the brakes and said, wait a minute here. Stay in that marriage because you can be that lighthouse. You can be the one that, that can bring your husband to know Jesus. And so we we, we read um, what Peter says about this in 1 Peter chapter 3, all right? Likewise, I'm reading out the ESV. It says, likewise, uh, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word. 
Ladies, you ought to circle that. You ought to highlight that. You ought to put that star around there. You ought to post it on the refrigerator. You can win your husband without a word. That's like having a battle without a shot being fired. <laughs> by, by how can we win? How can we influence our husbands? How can we do that? By the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct. What is inside? Your action, your behavior is the most attractive thing to your husband. Don't let it be the outward. Let it be the inward. Don't let your adorning be external, the braiding of your hair and putting off gold jewelry and the clothing you wear. Now, let me just stop and say, some of you say, well, okay, I'm going to just stay in my slippers and jammas all day and never wear makeup, never do my hair. Please keep America beautiful. <laughs> do your part of that. <laughs> Okay, am I in trouble? Okay, <laughs> all right. But let your adorning be the hidden, the hidden person of the heart with imper- imperishable beauty of a gentle, quiet spirit, which is in God's spirit is very precious. But this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husband. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are here, and you are her children. If you do good and do not fear anything, that is frightening. Well, that little phrase is kind of confusing, but the NLT says this, you are her daughters, Thomas here, when you do what is right without fear of what your husband might do. See, if we give open, if I surrender, if I, if I put myself out there, I'll be vulnerable. So he's, I'm afraid what he's going to be doing and how he reacts and, and uh, uh, take that, uh, you know, um, to a to, uh, a bad place. Now, certainly this doesn't mean that a wife is to submit to abuse. And, and I'm sorry to say that some of you have experienced abuse in a marriage relation. And it's difficult for you to grasp these, even follow these uh, truths that God has put here. But God will help you and maybe he'll give you another chance in life, an opportunity uh, if you, uh, you know, have gone through a, a divorce and, and you have gone through, uh, you know, maybe in another uh, prospect in the future. But, but God will help you work through this. It doesn't have to be an issue in your life. God can help you as we just sang that song, Through the Strength of Christ. Now, we said that God has designed marriage with equality. A wife is equal in value and purpose to her husband. The wife plays a role like, just like Jesus when he submitted to the will of God the Father. The calling is equal. And value, and, and, and the, uh, but the calling is different. There's different roles for the husband and the wife and the way God has designed this. And by the way, they are not interchangeable. God meant it, and he created it, and they're not to, they, there's no crossing lines here. God says this is, this is the man and this is the woman, and they have strengths, both of them do. And the woman, she is to bring her strength under her husband to make him better. Just like Jesus Christ submitting to be born of a virgin, he lived and died for our sins He placed his strength under us that we might be called a child of God. That's what God did. He came under us and elevated us to be a joint heir with Jesus Christ. Let me say this. Ladies, the husband needs 
what a wife has to offer. Needs that. And you can say here, well, you, you know, I hear what you're saying about this submission thing, but my husband is a jerk. <laughs> there's, there's no way I could come and submit to his leadership. There's no way I could do that. Or a husband may say, my wife is difficult to live with. I'm going to give you five points, and they're in your notes here, to help us to, that if we struggle with submitting to one another. And by the way, the, this submission principle is, is that we're to submit one to another, not only in marriage, but, but we're to love one another, we're to submit to one another. This carries on over in all areas of our life as a believer in the church, uh, in our family relations, in our community. So number one, if you're waiting to do right before things are made right, you'll be waiting forever. You say, you know, man, if, if they just, you know, I'm, I'm going to wait. And when they're getting to that position and they're like Jesus, I will submit. I'll submit like I do Jesus to them when they're like Jesus. Well, you're going to be waiting a long time. Do right. Submit like Jesus did for you. And as you stop and think of it, my friend, we as believers, Jesus didn't submit himself to us and wait for us to be right before he did that. No, we were enemies with God before we became a believer. He offered himself on the cross for us and while we were yet sinners. He didn't wait for us to become right with him. He didn't wait for us to have everything corrected in our life, but he yielded himself to us. Number two, if we have a submissive spirit towards the scripture, we can submit to others. We, we must hold the word of God as an elevated in our lives that this is important. And if God says I'm to do this, if it's in the scripture, I am to have that submissive spirit to, tell, to, to say, God, what your will is, whatever it is, God, I am following you as Jesus said to God the Father there in the garden. A wife submits to her husband not because he has earned the right, but God commands her to come under his leadership. And I'll say this for the husband as well, that what we're getting into in verse 7 in a moment is that the husband as well is not to wait for the wife to be right, but we are to follow as God commands us to do. Obedience to God's word is the key here. Number three, a wife submits to God by submitting to her. A wife submits to God by submitting to her, her husband. It's a sign that we are walking in a submission to God when we submit to our spouse. And she can submit to her husband by looking past her husband and view this as a submission to God. And my friend, it is going to be times there we're going to be have to say, well, you know, this person is here. And I am a hard time with this, but I'm going to look past that person and do this. And I'm going to submit to you, God. I'm going to submit to you because you told me to. And I'm just going to do a submit to you through this individual. Because behind that knothead is a glorious Savior who loves you and will honor you no matter what. Number four, he or she must be willing to forgive and as and be as gracious as God is to them. That's so convicting. And we're, we're to be as gracious as forgiving to our spouse. And we have to understand and realize that each of us are a construction pro, 
a, a project and we're in this process and, and your spouse is not going to be like uh, God himself, but they are as you are in a journey and a process of being more like him. And so we have to give some grace there that we are all still in a work of process as well as your, your mate, your spouse. Number five, and we look to the rewards of being under what God has placed over us. There is a place of a submission, yes, but it's also a place of blessing when we enter and then we, we, we have what God's authority in our life. As a, as a child has a, a authority in their life as parents, and, and that is a blessed position for that child to be in as he or she obeys her parents. If they're godly parents, they'll lead them in the, in the, in the uh, path of, of righteousness. The path is a path, a place of blessing as, as well as a place of submission. So what does this mean to be a godly husband? And if you're here today and you're not married, you know, if you're a single, I think you should take some notes here because this is the husband that you want to be, uh, want to have in your life. This is the husband that you want to marry young ladies. This is someone that you want uh, to, to uh, pursue. And it gives you some clear indications that this person is godly. So verse 7, likewise, husband, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, seeing they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. There are four points that are packed in this little verse that are so helpful for us as husbands. I want to talk about, first of all, that what it means to be a godly headship, a godly the godly headship, the role of the husband is headship. Headship is something that, that God has placed in creation. It's a, it's a, a place of order. God, God's creation is a place of order. It is not something that is just, you know, through a process, you know, eliminating the, the stronger the, and, and the weaker being disposed of. It's not that. They're not evolving. God has placed order in his creation. And, and in that order, there is this headship. That someone has to make decisions. Someone has to be leading. We can't all be in the lead. But someone makes that lead. Someone makes that decision. One of my favorite uh, stories in the Bible is about David and Goliath. You know, David and Goliath, and, and here they were. And, and uh, Israel, who was the, the, the nation chosen by God, God's people, and they were to follow God, and, and they were to be a great uh, testimony and the witness of God and his power and his strength and who God is. And if you wanted to see who God is, you know, you look towards Israel. And the Philistines came, along, uh, came against Israel, and Israel is to defend the glory of God, and the Philistines came out and started to mock the God of Israel. And Samson, you know, remember the Samson, First Samuel, that, that he came and he started to, to ridicule the, the nation of Israel and started to make fun of, of Israel's God. This great Goliath, uh, uh, giant named Goliath. And he said, you know, to the nation, you send out your best against me. And whoever wins, the loser will serve the winner. And... Uh, they kept doing this day after day, and finally David came along, and, and he hears this. 
And he steps up as a young man with those five stones and uh, that slingshot to defend the name of God, to show that God's power and faith and trust in God is more worthy and more powerful than anything and any other God upon the, on the planet of the earth. In, in fact, all the universe, that God can be trusted. And after that great giant falls to the ground, David does something that was very, you know, maybe you'd say sadistic. He takes the sword of the giant and he goes and cuts the head off of Goliath. And then he takes it and he carries it around and he takes it all the way back to Jerusalem and puts it in a place of display. And the point is that he was telling a great message for us that there is no head that is going to come against God. That this head, if, if you come against God and if you try to uh, be stronger than God, that, this, that you're going to end up like this head, that there's no head that can, can come against the power of God. See, God makes a case throughout the Scripture that the right headship is important. God made Adam and Eve, and there in the garden, they were the head of that garden, and they were, they were uh, programmed or designed and, and told to, to take care of that garden. And Adam, who represents all of mankind, and under his headship, which means we're under, under a headship of sin because, uh, because of the sin that happened there in the garden. And because of that, Adam now stands as representation of all humans. And because of that, we have a fallen nature because of our headship, Adam, who had sinned. God came to Abraham and told him that he would be a head of a great nation, Israel. And that through this, uh, through uh, Abraham, the head of this great nation, there would be a descendant. And of course, it happened on down through Isaac and Jacob and all the way down to Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ now becomes the new Adam, the new head that we can believe in. And of course, that person is none other than Jesus Christ. And Jesus is called the head of the church, the body of Christ. God chose Jesus not only to be the head of the church, but over all creation. And in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 16, to the woman, he said, I will multiply your pain in childbearing, and pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire to be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And there is this dy dy uh, dynamic or this tension of following your husband, if you're a wife, it's because of the fall of man. But God had given the role of headship to Adam. And God has given the role of headship to the husband in a godly marriage. And so number one in your notes, God chooses who is to be at the head. And this is a sobering point for us as men, as husbands. Because how the headship follows God or doesn't follow God impacts all that are under his headship. Adam never had dreamed the decisions that he made there in the garden, how it impacted this earth. 
And it's a true, men. As the husband goes, so does the family. You may be here and you may be single. You may be the head of your family, but it's the same, same principle as you lead your family. Acts chapter 16, the jailer who, who gets saved, and after he gets saved, you know, he goes in, and, he, and, and the Bible says, just clearly says that, and the rest of the household gets saved because of what dad did, because of what husband did. The husband is to provide and protect and nurture, and he leads and he cares for the family. The wife comes under him for support and gives her strength that, that he may become a better leader. But ultimately, the husband is responsible for his family physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And one day, as men, as husbands and heads of our household, and, and if you're a, a single a mom, we give an account for how we lead our family. And God set this up. He chose who to be the, the headship of the marriage. And number two, the headship is responsible for the well-being of what has been placed under his authority. A godly husband is a servant leader. Listen, men, we, we ask our wives to submit to this, but listen, there is a submission that we men must submit to this truth as well. That it is us, that we who look to those under our care and make sure they are properly cared for, that they are flourishing under our care, that their needs are being met. Husband is to look at those in his care and make sure that they are doing great, even at the cost of the husband doing great. And Jesus is the greatest example of this, my friend. He is a servant leader. He who was the guest in a household one time, he took some water and washed the disciples' feet. And then he said, you go and do likewise, the servant leadership. At the, at the expense of going to the cross for our well-being, he submitted. We're talking about the King of Kings, the, the Lord of creation, the Son of God. God himself was willing to serve and give at his expense for our well-being. Let me put it this way. Maybe this will stick. Be the fertilizer that helped those in your care grow. Be willing to be the fertilizer that helped those in your care grow. How can we be, as men, as husbands, a God? Be a godly headship. I'm going to give you four things in closing out verse 7. Number one, we give the gift of empathy. The Bible says to understand your wives. Now, my friend, I, I, I think this is a, a lifelong, I, I think eternity. If we were going to eternity, we didn't have the, you know, the supernatural uh, glorified body. I think in eternity, we would be learning this, uh, how to understand our wives. But that's the beauty part of marriage, is that we never get to a place where we can say we have arrived, but it's an understanding. It's a beautiful thing. So we give the empathy, and there are three questions I want to give us men, and you would like, if you'd like to write them down, but they are lifelong questions. 
The first one, what is it like to be a woman? <laughs> now, don't take that sick, but uh, what is it like to be a woman? Think about that, what our wives go through. And try to understand the difference in all the, the pressures that they have of, of being the perfect person. What do our wives go through? Number two, what is it like to be a mother? I have no clue what it's like to give a child. And some of the, there's some ladies here that, that you're carrying uh, um, babies in your womb and, and you're going through that process. What is that like? I have no idea. What does it mean to be a mother? So we understand, try to understand what that's given the, the gift of, of empathy, of understanding their way. And then here's the, the one that's the hardest one for me to answer. What is it like to be married to me? What is that like? Well, if, if I was married to me, I, I don't think the marriage would last. <laughs> what is it like to be married to me? So we give the gift of empathy and try to be an understanding way. Number two, recognize that your wife is the weaker vessel. Now, this is means that she's deficient, but what it does mean is that she's fragile. It's like, those, the, like you, when you go in your house and there's that teacup or there's that, there's that fragile thing. There's that, there's that whatever that's fragile in your house. And, and, and it's not that it's deficient, it's just special. It's fragile. And we're to treat our, our women in our lives, our ladies as a wife, uh, as uh, fragile, to learn who they are and uh, as weaker vessels. They're not like us. They don't think like us. They don't act like us. They don't react like us. And so we treat them in a fragile way. Number three, this one was very convicting to me in, uh, earlier in my life. So thinking about my wife, see your wife as the daughter of God. So I'm treating her. I'm saying this, and she is a daughter of God. And the Bible also says that, they, that there is an, an equal of rewards. They're joint heirs, as the King James put it, is that, is that they are going to be rewarded. There is an equalness in this life, and then there's an equalness in rewards in the life to come. That's the way God looks at it. And he says to us, treat her as a daughter of God. When I say this and when I do this, I need to understand that this is God's daughter. You know, there are things that uh, I think about with, with my wife and relationship um, and going through, uh, uh, you know, her dad, her dad is still alive and, and he's a great man of God. And, and I think about him and, uh, and there are things that I say, you know, I understand that she is the daughter of Lauren Lane and I have to give an answer to him and I have to, and th that's that, that, that important um, relation, that value that's placed in my, in my mind as who her father is. Not only her earthly father, but her heavenly father as well. And then the last one, and this is one of the most serious ones. It's only found in the Bible here. Is that our prayers will be hindered if we don't, as men, treat our wives like what Peter's saying in verse 7. God responds to how we treat our wives. If I want God to listen to my prayers, I got to treat my wife with the care 
that he asked me to do. It's kind of like what God does with me. How I, how I need to treat my wife and how God cares for me. You know, one day, every married couple is going to stand before God and how we behaved in our marriage. And it's not going to be on how your spouse behaved. You're going to give God how you behaved as a husband and as a wife. Do I bring strength to my husband? I place under him and I give what I have to him so that he might be a, a better husband, a better leader in our home. Have you become like a servant like Jesus and come under him and give him what you have to offer to him that he may lead? Husbands and dad, those, do those under your headship do well? Are those, are they flourishing? Are their needs being met? Are you loving them like Jesus loves us? I read a comment about a book called How the World Began, and it's by Helmut Thielecki, and he made this observation. He said, I, I once knew a very old married couple who radiated a tremendous happiness. The wife especially who is almost unable to move because of old age and illness and whose kind old face, the joys and sufferings of many years had etched had, had etched a hundred lines, was filled with such gratitude for life that I touched that it touched was touched the heart. Involuntarily, I asked myself, what could possibly be the source of this kindly person's radiance? In every other respect, they were common people, and the room indicated only the most modest comfort. But suddenly I knew where it all came from, for I saw those two speaking to each other and their eyes hanging upon each other. All at once it became clear to me that this woman was dearly loved. It was not because she was cheerful and pleasant person that she was loved by her husband and for all those years. It was the other way around because she was so loved, she became the person I saw before me. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, help us in our behavior to follow what Peter is saying for both the wife and the husband. And as a man, as a, as a woman, as a follower of God. That we may become just like you, Jesus. And we may influence others in the role that we play that you've laid out for us. And we'll trust your word to be true which it is. And by your strength, your faith, our faith in you, you will help us to be the godly person that you see in us. And Father, I pray if there be someone here that does not know Jesus as their Savior, right now, this moment, they'll be open to receive 
forgiveness of all their sins, the strength to come to know who you are, to believe in you. And one day when we are called out of this life, that heaven will be our home. I pray that if there's anybody in here, Father, right now, that they're accepting you as you speak to them. God, we submit to your word. We submit to you. And we submit ourselves to you. To serve you, to serve others. To love you, to love others. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me as we close out the service with one more song? And uh, there can be anything that we can do for you to help you. Um, please let us know. Put it on the connection card. Come see us. We'd love to pray with you to help you in any way. Let's sing. Oh, give us homes built upon the Savior, where Christ is head and counselor and guide, where every child is taught his love and favor, and gives his heart to Christ the
Go build your home. Have a great week.